preparing for the message uh, this week, I ran across a headline from nine days ago on April the 3rd, which was in the online edition of the New York Post. As if you're looking at the slide, as you can see, the headline reads this way. Coronavirus is making couples sick of each other. Lawyers see divorces surge. Now, let me read some, some poll quotes in this story from a Manhattan family attorney named Suzanne Kimberly Bracker. She says this, quote, People are realizing that they can't stand each other. In the middle of the night, I got a call from a client who now realizes she has nothing in common with her husband but the children, and how he knows nothing about the children. And she'll be damned if she spends the rest of her life with him, unquote. Now, sadly, this is not an isolated experience. You can go online and you can find a lot of stories like this where because people are having to shelter at home, where, where family situations are, uh, in, in, in several cases, are tense at best. But, but let, let, let's get real for, for a moment. What are things like in your home right now? Have you experienced some frayed nerves? Uh, maybe some irritability? Maybe some strained relationships? Uh, since the middle of March, Lisa's salons have been closed, and so she's been at home or at church with me, and, and I'll be honest, we've had some hard discussions over the last couple of weeks. I'm used to doing things a certain way when she's at work, uh, and she is used to doing things in a certain way, etc., uh, etc. Et L- let me give you an example. Uh, uh, I usually, uh, during, when, when both of us are, are, are when, when she's working, uh, again, I'm, I'm working, but when she's working and we're both working, uh, we might use the dishwasher, it might get used once a week. Now it's getting used three, maybe four times a week. Uh, I usually load the dishwasher, I usually take care of that, uh, and I load the dishes in a certain way. And my wife loads the dishes kind of this way. She just kind of takes them in her hands and just you know, kind of throws them in. And wherever they land, you know, that's where, they're, that's where they go. Uh, and so I come back, and uh, I don't say anything, but I come back and I open. And I, I, a lot of times I'll pull everything out, put everything back in, you know, like little soldiers lined up you know, for, for inspection and have them all nice and neat, like it's supposed to be, you know. Yeah, but again, it's not. I'm sure that drives her crazy when she sees me doing that. Last night, uh, I was doing some reading. I was sitting on the couch, and, and I said, uh, the, the remote control was here. And, and I said, Lisa, well, I, if you want to watch TV, it's not going to bother me what I'm doing. And so she, she remote, and about every two seconds, she starts flicking the channel. It's on there for about two seconds. I look up and then flick. And another, another channel, flick. And then she kind of looked at me and smiled, and she said, am I driving you crazy yet? You know? And uh, uh, and and, and, and I, I said, yeah. She said, well, welcome to my world. So, but anyhow, you know, we go through this time, and, and again, it, it's natural for us to experience some of these frayed nerves and irritations and so forth, but the point is this. What any marriage and family is going to look like after shelter in place is no longer required will be determined by how couples and families do life in the interim. What couples are going to look like and what family dynamics are going to look like after this is over is going to be determined by what life looks like in the interim. Between the time when shelter in place was asked of us and from the time when shelter in place will no longer be asked of us. Now, as we mentioned last week, this parable is about delay and the importance of how we do life in the interim. In the interim between what we are celebrating today, the resurrection of Christ and the return of Jesus Christ. We live in the interim. Jesus, some 2,000 years ago, came forth out of that grave on that resurrection morning, that that Sunday morning, He came out of that grave. And right now, we are living in the interim. He's coming back again. And so between the resurrection and the return is life in the interim. And that's what this parable is about. It's about life in the interim. And Jesus, as we told you last time, Jesus and the twelve are in Jericho. And they are making the Passover journey to Jerusalem where Jesus is going to be crucified. In fact, if you you look at at the time frame of what's going on here in chapter 19, from from what what we read here today, in the next ten days, 
Jesus will triumphantly enter into Jerusalem. He's going to experience betrayal. He will go through several trials. He will be flogged. He will be rejected. He will be crucified. And He will be resurrected. All that's coming up in the next ten days. And the twelve, however, the twelve, however, are oblivious to the intense hatred and rejection of Jesus. Why? Because here is their concern. Who's going to be the greatest? Which one of us is going to get to sit at the right hand or at the left hand of Jesus? Which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And as we read in verse 11 and as we talked about last time, verse 11 states the twofold reason why Jesus tells this story. He tells this story because they are nearing Jerusalem. They are just a six-hour journey away from Jerusalem. And he tells the story also, he says, because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. There were these false expectations. The false expectations of the twelve are about to be shattered. Even though just a few days earlier, as we read in chapter 18, verses 31 through 34, where Jesus tells them and he warns them that as they get into Jerusalem, it's not going to be what they're expecting. The twelve are expecting a coronation. The twelve are expecting that Jesus, when he gets into Jerusalem, is is going to claim the kingdom. He's going to begin the kingdom. Uh, The the Romans are no longer going to be over them. But Jesus is letting them know, I'm not going to Jerusalem for a coronation. I'm going to Jerusalem for a crucifixion. It's the place of crucifixion and not the place of coronation. Well, last Sunday we focused on the historic background of of this parable. We gave you the backstory, and the backstory is one of intense rejection and hatred towards Archelaus. Uh, we told you that this parable is kind of based on a true story. It's based, and we're not going to go back and do that. And if you, if you need to get that background, you can go back and, and, and look at the message from, from last week. But, but it's based on this true story of Archelaus after Herod the Great dies. And Archelaus goes to Rome so that Caesar can, can uh, bestow upon him the title of king. And so uh, we, we had this, and, and the Jews had this intense hatred for Archelaus because of the 3,000 that were killed during Passover season after Herod the Great dies in Jericho. And, and we found out that Luke wants us to feel these emotions. He wants us, he writes, and, and, and as Jesus is telling this parable, he wants those who he's telling this parable to, to feel the emotions. They feel, they inten- this story reminds them. Of, of, of what happened with Archelaus. And, and, and it stirs up those, those emotions, those, those intense, strong emotions. And, and, and we want to feel those emotions. Because at this moment in history, intense hatred and rejection is not directed towards Archelaus, but rather it's directed towards Jesus. It's directed towards Jesus. Luke also wants to experience, uh, us to experience this powerful message uh, from this passage and the importance of how you and I are to live in the interim between the resurrection and the return of Jesus. So, where do we begin? Well, we're going to begin where you would begin with any story, by simply asking, who are the players? Who are the players in this story? And the cast of characters in this parable is comprised of one individual and two people groups. Now, one of those people groups are going to be further subdivided, but basically, the cast of characters, if we were to, to roll starring so-and-so, we would have the first star would be this individual, the next two stars starring this people group and starring this people group. So we, we have one individual and two people groups. The individual is mentioned first, and it's found in verse 12. And this individual is a sovereign or a king. Look at verse 12 again in our text. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Now we're going to look at this verse a little bit later, but let me just kind of give you a quick overview of what's going on here. What, what, what are we told about this sovereign? As Jesus begins this story, he begins by telling us the story of this sovereign or this king. What does he tell us? Well, he lets us know that he's a man of noble birth or status. Uh, this isn't uh, on the social ladder. He is, he's at the top. He's, he's a man of, noble, of royal blood, of kingly blood. He's a a man of noble birth, and he's a man of noble status. Also, we see that his authority is received as a result of exaltation. A noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. He is a vassal king. He's he's a king who uh, is, is under the rule of another king, 
but he's a king that receives his authority because he's been exalted to that position by the, 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 the other king. He's been exalted to this position as the other king. So his authority is received as a result of exaltation. Not only that, this king is a king that is getting ready to depart and then return. He tells us in the text again, for he himself, uh, he says, for he himself uh, a kingdom, uh, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. So those are the three facts about this king, about this sovereign. He's a man of noble birth and status. His authority is received as a result of exaltation. And he is about ready to depart and he's going to return. That's the first player. The second player is made up of a people group. And this people group is found in verse 13. And this people group is made up of the sovereign's servants. We have the sovereign's servants in verse 13. He says, Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten menus and said to them, Engage in business until I come. Again, same way. We're going to look at just a quick brief overview. We'll get into this uh, later on. First of all, this. they've They've been summonsed. He says that he's called or he summons ten of his servants. In other words, they, have, they are under the authority of their king. And the authority of their king is to guide them. They've been summoned. They've been called. And this king is going to tell them what he expects out of them. This king has authority. This sovereign has authority over his servants. And he's going to let his servants know what he expects out of them. And he has the authority to command this of them. Not only that, they have been entrusted. Look at what he says again. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minions. In other words, each of these ten servants had one minion. Again, we'll talk about that in a little bit, a little bit further in the message. But they have been entrusted with something that is not their own. These servants didn't have a minion. This minya is a certain amount of money, and it was given to each, one was given to each of these ten servants. It was given to each of these ten servants, and they have been entrusted with something that is not their own. They are not the owners of this minya, of this amount of money. They are stewards. They're not owners. They're stewards. It was given to them. And then look, finally, they've been tasked and held accountable, where he tells them, he said to them, engage in business. And again, we'll talk about that phrase in a moment. Engage in business. They've been tasked to do something with that minya. They are to engage in business, but they're also going to be held accountable. Engage in business, what, look at what the text says, until I come. Until I come. So he's expecting something when he returns. The third people group, or the, I'm sorry, the second people group is mentioned in verse 14. We have the sovereign in verse 12. We have the sovereign servants in verse 13. And in verse 14, we have the sovereign's subjects. It says, But his citizens, or his subjects, hated him and sent a delegation after him. So he leaves and departs, and they send this delegation after him. We do not want this man to reign over us. Again, three things about these subjects, the sovereign subjects. First of all, they live in the king's domain. They're not his servants. They're not his servants, but they they live in this king's domain. He rules over a particular area, and while they are not his servants, they are his subjects. They they live in the king's domain. We're also told that they hate him. We'll talk more about that. He says, but his citizens hated him. He's hated. Not only that, we find out that they refuse to submit to his authority. We do not want this man to reign over us. So in each of these things, Jesus tells us three things about each of these three characters. The sovereign king is a man of noble birth and status. His authority is received as a result of exaltation. There is a departure and a return. The the first people group, the second second person in this cast of characters, are the sovereign servants. They've been summoned. They're under the authority. The authority of their king is to guide them. They have been entrusted. Uh, They've been given something that that they do not own. They They are not owners, but they're stewards, and they've been tasked to engage in business, and they're going to be held accountable when he comes. And in the second people group are the sovereign subjects. They live in the king's domain, they hate him, and they refuse to submit to his authority. Now we know the players. Now knowing the players, we now can examine the plot. We now can examine the plot. 
And this plot occurs in three acts. It occurs in three acts. Now we're going to look at the first two acts today. And next week we'll finish up with the last act and, and, and give some, 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 uh, some conclusions from that. But these acts, these acts are, how you divide these acts, these acts are divided and determined by the location of the king. We're going to find that the location of the king comes as he's getting ready to depart. And then what takes place in the interim. Uh, after after he departs, and then uh, as, as he departs, what what he he's going to he's going to, to leave a command, and he's going to experience contempt. And then the final act has to do with his return. Uh, and, and so we'll look at these acts, and that these acts are are determined by the location wherever the king is determines a change of act. So let's look at the first act. The first act is his departure, where he is going to receive. It is the reception. Of a kingdom. Again, look at verse 12. He says, A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Notice, in order to receive the kingdom, he has to depart. In order to receive the kingdom, he has to depart. He has to go into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. He's a nobleman. He's of noble birth. But if he's going to receive this kingdom, he has to go into the far country. He has to depart the place where he's at to go and to get this kingdom. We're also told that his absence is unknown and lengthy. His absence is unknown and lengthy. It says here he is going to into a far country. Now, now think for a moment. Think about the parables that we've studied. Does that phrase, a far country, ring? Think about that phrase. Think about that phrase. If you remember the story of the prodigal son, remember in chapter 15 and verse 13 where we read this, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Remember when we looked at that passage and we looked at that parable, we told you that, that this idea of a far country, that, that this just isn't on the, other side of the, on the other side of the freeway. He just didn't go into another state. He went as far away as he could get. He went to the very outer edges of civilization. He got as far away, far away as he could from the father and the prodigal son. So here, this, 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 this nobleman is going to a far country. He's going to a place that is far, far away. It's far away. You just can't get there overnight. And because it's such a far country, and because it takes so long to get there, you have no idea when he... You do know this. You know that his departure, the length of his absence is going to be lengthy. It's going to be lengthy and it's going to be unknown. It's going to be unknown because you, you don't know what, again, as we talk about it physically, you don't know what perils might be faced. You don't know how far is the far country. And, and so you've got all this, this, this time traveling to it, this time traveling back. And so you have this absence that is unknown and it's lengthy. But also notice this, that those in the far country recognize and acknowledge the king. He's going to this far country to receive for himself a kingdom. They already recognize him as a king. They already know him to be a king. They already accept him as a king. That's not the place where he's going to be king at. The citizens hate him. But, when he, but the far country already acknowledges, they already know, they already recognize him as the king. As the king. Now, that's going to be important because when we get to the close of the message, we're going to say, who is this nobleman? Who, who's Jesus talking about here when he's talking about this nobleman? Who is he referring to? So that's the departure. Then the Act 2 then begins in verse 13. And Act 2 is the interim, which deals with the command and contempt. Here you have the king making his final command before he leaves. And then as he leaves, there is a group of citizens or a delegation of citizens that follow him. And so you have this time and this king is letting them know 
what he wants his servants to do in the interim. This is what I'm expecting. I'm going to be gone. I'm going to a far country. I'm going to be there for a while. I, I don't know when I'm going to be back. But this is what I expect from you while I'm away. So this is the interim. Again, look at verse 13. And in verse 13, we find the command. In verse 13, he says, He calls, he summons ten of his servants. He gave them ten minyas. Each one gets a minya. And he said to them, Engage in business until I come. The king's getting ready to make a departure. But prior to his departure, he gives responsibilities to ten of his servants. To ten of his servants. Now, he may have had more servants and, and, and he may have given... But, but Jesus is just focusing on this. this for, he, he tells them to these ten servants, he gives them a responsibility. He says, here's the responsibility that I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give each of you a minion. Now, a minion was considered about four months worth of the average day laborer's salary. So I went and did some research to kind of look at what the average uh, general laborer made in Tarrant County. And basically, the, the, amount, the amount that he gives them is somewhere, it would be somewhere around about $12,000. 12 to 15, 10 to 15, somewhere in that range. But around about $12,000 is what he gives each, each of these 10 servants $12,000. Now, $12,000 isn't a whole, whole lot of money, but $12,000 isn't chump change either. I'm sure you could use $12,000. Uh, like I said, it, 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 you're not going to get rich on $12,000. You're not going to say, hey, baby, we got $12,000. We are set for the rest of our life. I mean, you can spend $12,000 that quick. But it's not chump change either. And so he basically gives them about $12,000 a piece of his own money, of what belongs to him, and he entrusts these ten servants, and he tells them, he commands them, engage in business. Some, trans, some translations translate it this way. Make a profit. Make a profit. He wants them to take what He has given them and He wants them to experience growth. He wants them to experience growth with what He has entrusted them with. He expects them. He doesn't tell them how and what way they are to engage in business, but they, they are expected to make a profit. They are expected to make the profit. And they are expected to present the king evidences of growth upon his return. Engage in business until I come. When I leave, here's, these ten, here, here's this minion, here's this $12,000. I want you to put it to work. I'm entrusting $12,000 of my money into your hands. I want you to take it. I want you to, to, to engage in business. I want you to make a profit off of this. And when I come, I want you to demonstrate to me. I want you to show me what you've done. I want you to show me what you've done. So the command and expectations are clear. The command and expectations, it's not ambiguous. It's not something that you got, what, as, as the king is living, the ten don't look at one another and say, now, no, what, what do he say? What do you mean? It, it was pretty clear. Here's $12,000 of my money, and I expect you to make a profit with it. And when you get back, I'm going to hold you accountable to it. I'm going to hold you accountable to it. So that's the command. That's the command during this time of interim. That's what is expected of them between the time of his departure and the time of his return. They are expected to have growth in what they have been entrusted with by the king. That's the command. But also during the interim, there's something else going on. There is contempt. Look at verse 14 again. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. Again, as we told you, these, are, these subjects or these citizens are those that are living in the domain of this king. They are living in the domain of this king. And rather than embracing the king, rather than embracing the king, they have nothing but contempt for him. Nothing but contempt for him. They should be embracing this king. But instead of embracing this king, they have nothing but contempt. And this contempt Jesus tells us is revealed in two ways. 
First of all, it's revealed by means of their ongoing hatred. Look again, he says, but his citizens hated him. It's in an, it's in a, the, the word that's translated hated is in an imperfect tense, which means there is this ongoing attitude of hatred. I mean, it's just, it's just building. And every time they think about him, it just, their hatred just increases. And it's, and it's a hatred that can't be, be pacified. It's a hatred that is not going to get better, uh, uh, get better over time. It's a hatred that is going to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. They say his name and a scowl comes across their face. Their faces begin to turn red as the anger and, and hatred begin to bubble up and boil inside of them. But not only is it in their attitude, but in the way they address. Look at it again. He says, we do not want literally this one, this one to reign over us. Jesus has used that kind of phraseology before in the parables that we've looked at. They address him as Tautan, this one. We don't want this one to reign over us. They don't even give him the respect of, 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 of how he should be, the title that he's earned. They don't give him the respect by even calling him by name. They just refer to him as this one. This one. I mean, try that. Oh, who's your children here? Well, this one. And then I have George. I have, you know, Sam and this one. Derogatory. Their contempt is not only seen in their attitude, their contempt is heard and how they even address him. How they even address him. Well, the final act begins in verse 15. And this final act is the bulk of the parable. It's where we'll spend our time, Lord willing, next week. It's the bulk of the parable. And it recounts the story of the king's return. Uh, and and, and, and when, when you look at that, and I, I want to encourage you to read that this week, you're, you're going to see three things that we're going to talk about. When the king comes back, there's a reward. There's a reward. There's also a rebuke. And there's also a ruling. We're going to focus on the king's return. He, he's come back now. He's made his way back, and, and, and as, he, as he gets ready to, as he's, as he's, as he's uh, calling his servants to account, and as he's sitting down to uh, exercise his rule, even though he has already been uh, established, he has been, uh, uh, he's been established as king, uh, he's been appointed as king, uh, as he goes to the far country, yet he doesn't begin exercising his authority until he comes back. And when he comes back, and he begins to exercise his authority. He comes back ready to reward. He comes back ready to rebuke. And he comes back ready to rule upon those who hate him. And we'll look at that, Lord willing, next time. So, I want to leave you with two things today as we close out the message. And the two things are simply this. We need to recognize the characters and identify ourselves in this tale. We need to recognize the characters and identify ourselves in this tale. And so the first thing is this. Who's the nobleman? Who's the nobleman? Well, I'm sure if you haven't already guessed by now, the nobleman is Jesus. Jesus is the nobleman. He's the one of noble birth. He's the one of royal birth. He's the one who, who came into this world as, 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 as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the one that, that the, the wise men that we celebrate in Christmas, uh, when, when Jesus, uh, when he's around about two years old, where the wise men come and they, they bow and they worship and they give gifts. He's the one on the day of his birth uh, that the shepherds come and, and, and where the angels sing glory to God in the highest. Uh, he's the one that, that the wise men ask, uh, Herod, where is he that is born King of the Jews? He is of noble birth. He is of noble birth. But the place to where he's going to rule and reign is a place of rejection. 
It's the place where he comes and this, this one who is born of noble birth comes in and he lives a life of perfection. He lives a life of character. He lives a life that is pleasing to the Father. And what we celebrate today is, is the resurrection of Christ where, where he takes, as we sang about, where he, where he takes the wrath of God and he, he takes the wrath of God for my sin and for your sin. But on his resurrection, he departs. He departs. And he goes to, as the text says, he goes to receive for himself a kingdom. To receive for himself a kingdom. And the book of Hebrews tells us that, 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 that Christ is king. He's been given a name that's above every other name. And that because of, 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 his, his, of his life of obedience to Christ, he has earned the title of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he has been highly exalted. And those in the far country, those in the, in, in, in the, heaven, uh, the, 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 the third heavens, those that, that, that dwell in the place where, where the angels rejoice in the presence of God, and, and, and where, where the saints of old are, 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 are there today, they, they already recognize him as king. They acknowledge him as king. And he's there waiting for the time when he returns from that far country and returns to this earth to begin executing his rulership over his kingdom. And when he does, when he does, he's coming to hold people accountable. To people accountable. There'll be reward. There'll be rebuke. And there'll be a ruling for those who hate him. A ruling for those who hate him. Who is this nobleman? Jesus is telling a parable about himself. Again, remember why he's telling this parable. He's telling this parable because he's nearing Jerusalem and because they believe, verse 11 says, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And Jesus is telling them the kingdom of God is going to appear, but it's not right now. It's not right now. I am going to a far country. I'm going to a far country to receive a kingdom. And then I'm going to return. I'm going to return. Again, Jesus' authority is received as a result of His exaltation. His authority is received as a result of His exaltation as the God-man. As the one who obeyed, as Jesus Jesus obeyed God in everything that he said and did. That in every way he pleased the Father. And because of his obedience, he's exalted. He's exalted. And his authority is received as a result of his exaltation. And he's coming back. But in the meantime, you and I live in this interim. So who is the nobleman? The nobleman. Jesus is telling a parable about himself. He's telling a parable about his departure. He's telling a parable about what he expects of his disciples while he's gone. And he's telling a parable about when he returns, that there's there's things that are going to happen. There's going to be servants that are going to be rewarded. There's going to be servants that are going to be rebuked. And those who hate him, those who reject him, there's going to be a ruling made against them. So, to which people group? The second question is simply this. To which people group do I belong? I'm one or the other. I'm either in that group subjects. Or says, I live within the king's domain. I live within the king's domain. But I am not going to have him rule over me. I'm not going to have him rule over me. He's hated. You say, I don't hate Jesus. Well, unless you submit... Unless you're following Him. When we decide we are born into this world as haters of God, we want to be our own ruler. We want to be our own God. We don't want God telling us what to do unless it's something we don't mind doing. Unless it might get us to where we want to get to. So we'll throw up the, throw up the prayer so you know, maybe we can get the promotion. Or we, we throw up the prayer because our loved ones are sick. Or we throw up the prayer because we need some extra money. But we really have no interest in submitting to God. We want God to get us out of the jam that we're in. But we really have no interest in submitting to Him. Once, once, once everything is taken care of, 
I go right back to the way of living. I go right back to being what I want to be because I will not have God ruling over me. I'll have God ruling over me. And if that's you, if that's you, you need to put your faith and trust in Christ. Your future is found in verse 27. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. You say, oh, that's pretty graphic language. Yeah, it is. Hell is real. Hell's not a place to be made fun of. Hell's not a place to make, make jokes about. It's real. It's real. And everybody doesn't just try to do the best they can and then, and then God, because He's just a good old soul, a good old grandpa, lets, allows you into His presence. You see, the resurrection is our hope, but the crucifixion tells us what God thinks about sin. He poured out His wrath on His Son on that cross. The wrath of God was poured out upon Him because sin is an abomination to God. And sin is serious with God. It's a serious thing with God. But God is not only a God of justice. God is not only a God of righteous wrath. God is also a God of love. He's a God of love and of mercy and grace. And He demonstrated that by sending His Son, by sending us the one of noble birth, who lived a life we couldn't live, and who offered up that life and His blood as a sacrifice for my sins and your sins. And when we cry out to God in confession of our sins and in repentance, and put our faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, we become a child of God. We're no longer subjects. We're now servants. We're now servants. We're we're His children. We belong to Him. We belong to Him. So if you're part of the group, you know, you may be trying to do your best. You may even come to church. You're watching this and viewing this. But do you have, are you, are, you, are you 100% certain that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? And if you don't, I beg of you today to cry out to Him. To cry out to Him for forgiveness and in faith, put your faith and trust that Jesus died for you. Jesus buried for you. And His resurrection, His resurrection is proof that God accepted His sacrifice for my sin in your sin. It's proof that that's why the resurrection is such a day of hope. Not that we get to live forever in the presence of God, but, but also it's hope because his sacrifice was accepted. So I have hope in Christ. So, which people group do I belong to? Do I belong to the subjects? Or do I, do I know Christ as my Savior? Am I a servant of the sovereign king? As servants of the king, we live in the interim. We are called to shelter in place on this planet earth. This is our time. Uh, This life is our time of shelter in place. And just as you're experiencing the frustrations and the conflicts and the difficulties of being at home together. That's what it's like to live our Christian life in the world in which we live. Because this world is, 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 is not friendly towards God. This world is not friendly towards the truth of Jesus Christ. Our, our, own, our own flesh betrays us. Our culture betrays us. Uh, our world betrays us. Uh, we, we, we choose sin. Satan fights against us. Our, 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 our lusts fight against us. And we, we shelter in place on this earth, and, and it's a time of conflict, it's a time of, of difficulty, it's a time of battle, but yet God has entrusted us with a stewardship. He's giving us something that doesn't belong to us. My life does not belong to me. My life is a gift from God to me. 
My life doesn't belong to me. It's not mine. It's a gift from God to me. And God has entrusted me with His provision. And God has entrusted you with His gifts and provision. We are stewards of the life and gifts that God has given to us. And we live in this interim. And we, are, we live in this interim entrusted with a stewardship from God. The stewardship of our gifts and the stewardship of our life. And He expects us to engage in business until He comes. He expects us to engage in business until He comes. That our life experiences growth. We experience growth in Jesus Christ. We take, what he's, we take the life that He's given us. We take the gifts that He's given us. And we use them for the glory of God and use them to obtain growth. Not growth for, for just growth's sake, but growth that we might become more like our Savior and be able to, to minister and to be able to take what God has entrusted to us and given to us and see it grow for the glory of God, for His pleasure, so that when He returns, He will be pleased with what He has entrusted us with while we are sheltering in place here on this earth. Here on this earth. He wants us to engage in business until He comes. Are you? Child of God, are you? What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with what God has entrusted you with? I know it's hard. Sheltering in place, whether it's in our homes or on this earth as believers, is very difficult. It's hard. There's conflicts. There's, there, there, there's battles. There, there's times we, 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 we make bad choices. But we continue to engage in business, we continue walking with the Lord and trusting Him and allowing His Word and His Spirit to grow our lives. I am in the business and you are in the business as a child of God to make profit from our lives, to make profit from the gifts that He's given us, that they, there will be a return of investment from what God has entrusted us with. a return He's expecting a return of investment with the gift of life that He's given you. He respects a return on investment with the gifts and talents that He's given you. In this interim, that's what He expects for us, from us until He comes and holds us accountable. Our King is going to return. Our king is going to return. It may be in my lifetime. It may not be in my grandchildren's lifetime. But he is going to return. He's gone to a far country right now. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God right now. We can't see him. We don't hear his voice. We can't see the prince, the nails. In His hands, we can't see His glory, His radiance, His beauty. But He is going to return. He is going to return. And when He does, He's going to hold us accountable. Our King is going to return. I know life's hard. I know right now things are difficult. God wants us to engage in business. There is opportunities, even in this unique time, there is opportunities for you to experience growth in your life and growth in how you use the gifts that God has given you. You know, last week I challenged you to pray a, 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 a prayer and said, it's scary. Ask God to show you where you, rebel, where, you, where you are living in rebellion against Him. And I'm not going to ask you something to do that I'm not willing to do. And I tell you, I prayed that prayer. And this week has been a kick in the butt. <laughs> I mean, I have been shown over and over in very graphic ways where I live in rebellion against God. But yet, 
through this unique situation, it's an opportunity to make profit. It's an opportunity to experience growth in what God has entrusted us with. Our life and the gifts, talents that he gives us. Our king will return. Let's determine together that we will engage in business until he comes. This is a unique opportunity. This is a unique historical moment. It may never, ever happen again in our lifetimes. Let's not waste it. Let's not waste it. And let's make it an opportunity to engage in business for our King. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for our hope in Christ. Thank you for the unique opportunities that are ours to experience growth, to see where we need to change. Lord, to be able to make a profit, to engage in business with what you have entrusted with, something that doesn't belong to us, but that we are stewards of our life. Our life is not our own. Our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our treasures. Father, help us to engage in business and to grow, Lord, so that when you come, when you return, we will be part of those servants who receive a reward. Father, I pray for those that are not engaging, for believers that are not engaging in business. Just kind of float along. Every now and then, a little progress here. Or getting back to where they once used to be. Father, I pray you burden their heart. And help them to see that this time of interim is an important time. Our king is gone. Our king is away. But our king will return. And our king has has tasked us with certain responsibilities that he expects us to fulfill when he returns. So, Father, give us the grace. Give us the strength. Help us to encourage one another or to engage in business so that we will hear, well done, good servant. Well done. And so that we won't hear, you wicked servant. You wicked servant. Father, I pray you help us to examine our hearts this week and to see where we need to experience growth and We need to to be good stewards of all areas that you've entrusted us with. And Lord, for, for those that don't know Christ as their Savior, Father, help them to see their condition. They they hate you. They may say they not, they may not think they do. But by the fact that they do not want you to reign and rule over them displays their contempt for you. We will not have this man rule over us. We'll not have this man rule over us. Father, I pray that you'd break their heart, that you would show them their need, show them their future if they continue in their ongoing hatred of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you would be merciful and gracious and open up their eyes and ears of understanding and help them to see that in your love and mercy that you sent your Son to die for our sins, that He took our wrath. And Lord, that when we put our faith and trust in the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we talked, as we sang earlier, we are robed in His righteousness. We are robed in Him. We have a new relationship with you and access into your presence. Father, thank you for this time and this opportunity to gather together. Bless your word today to our lives. Father, we'll thank you. We'll praise you for it. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. Amen.
We appreciate you joining us today. We, we long when we can get back together. Uh, we, we are eagerly anticipating the time when we get back together. And again, whatever Sunday that is, will be the Sunday we'll be observing the Lord's table together and celebrating uh, the fact that we are together. Uh, we can see one another, touch one another, uh, laugh together with one another. And we long and look forward to that. We love you. We pray God's blessings upon you. Uh, please let the elders know if there's a need that you have. We want to be sensitive to your needs. We want to make sure that, that you are doing okay. Uh, encourage you to call each other. Uh, I know people are lonely, uh, especially uh, our elderly who, who may live alone. And, uh, you know, they, people are not able to come, relatives aren't able to see them because they don't want them to possibly get um, COVID and and so I pray that you would just, just reach out and encourage each other this week. We love you. We pray God's blessings upon you. May His face shine upon you. May you rejoice in His strength. May you be encouraged through who He is. And if you're going through a time of lament and through a time of, uh, of sorrow, read, read the Psalms. Read the Psalms and, and, and lament with God. Lament before your God and uh, be encouraged in who He is and in what He's done for you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. And Lord willing, we'll see you either Wednesday night uh, as we'll send out the Zoom notification and invitation for you to join us in our Bible study uh, as we look at why, how are the 20, why do we believe that the 27 books of the New Testament are in actuality the 20, uh, are the, is, is the very Word of God. And we'll be looking at that Wednesday night. If we don't see you then, uh, we'll be joining you again uh, this next Sunday through our live stream. Again, thanks to Donnie. Thanks to Larry for the work that you've done. Carl, our security team that's rotating, that's coming in every Sunday. Appreciate uh, Robert coming, and, and that way the other trustees that live farther away uh, don't have to come in to be able to take care of the, our obligations, our financial obligations. I appreciate Jubal. He has worked hard uh, making sure that the songs that we sing are not just uh, songs to rejoice in, but are rich theologically and, and that speak to our hearts and, and, and speak to our message to God. And I, I, we just love you. And I, I can't wait to shake your hand, to hug you, to slobber all over you uh, when, uh, when we get back together. So God bless you. We love you. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see you next time. Thank you.